You're listening to the Government Huddle Podcast, brought to you by GMARQU. Each episode features a unique discussion led by Open Text Public Sector Executive and Global Government Thought Leader, Brian Chittister. Experts in all things government from around the world join the show to share their stories and provide insight into the rapidly changing landscape that is the public sector. From digital transformation to workforce issues and even thoughts on policy, nothing is off limits. Come on, let's huddle up. I think we are making in- incremental progress, um, but I do think that you know we have a long way to go. Where the innovation is coming in, but along with the innovation, you know, the cultural change is so important, and it's happening. I feel like in you know little groups, and and how do you scale that out, um, and how do you sort of keep the momentum going? It's going to be the real challenge that is going to be in front of us. Welcome back to the Government Huddle Podcast, guys. I'm your host, Brian Chittister. Data, IT modernization, and customer experience are some of the trends shaping the future of governments around the world. And using data to drive decision and policymaking is becoming increasingly crucial. Historically, government data has been stored across an array of sources, databases, systems, and departments. And one in four government officials surveyed by Forrester recently said, Public data sets housed in multiple databases and lines of business systems are a significant obstacle to executing mission-oriented strategies. And that's because bringing disparate data sources together to tap into the immense power of analytics and data-based business insights is critical to reshaping government moving forward. Additionally, use of modern technologies is another trend and it relates directly back to data. 76% of survey respondents said their organization has a good or excellent data and analytics strategy, while 65% said their agency is good or excellent with data governance. But only 38% said their organization is good or excellent at data collection, enrichment, and transfer. So how do you bridge the gap between humans and data? That's what Shabai Mishra, the CEO for Raft, is doing for governments. Recently, they were awarded a large contract with the Air Force's Kessel Run program to support external DOD software initiatives, promote a culture of continuous improvement, and create warfighter value. And Shabai has joined us today to discuss some of the other ways her organization is supporting the public sector. As the founder of Raft, she has extensive experience using human-centered design principles and an agile framework to create accessible and impactful digital solutions. And her passion as both an innovator and a leader is allowing Raft to become a key player in driving digital transformation and government forward. Shubi, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much, Brian, for having me. Super excited and looking forward to our conversation. I am too. And I want to start with something that is a real passion of mine. And I know I've discussed it on the show as well. It's really women in leadership, especially in STEM. And I know recently you were recognized by an organization that celebrates women guiding and mentoring and driving the industry through impactful leadership and more specifically driving business transformation and modernization specific to federal agencies in support of their mission. I want to ask you, what did this award mean to you? Um, let me start by saying I was really humbled by, you know, um, just the opportunity to be recognized. I think um, uh, this is something that is, um, you know, becoming more and more now so that we do have women leaders upcoming and on the other side um, to to uh, where more of these appreciations or your recognitions are going out. So just not about me, but also, you know, all the women leaders that were recognized through the award. Um, and to me personally, you know, it was just, uh, you know, awards is a funny thing. Um, I'm a more believer of uh, do the do 
Um, and I'm of more of a believer on, you know, it's about everybody in tech, right? And so um, I think what it did provide is opportunity for people uh, like me who have a similar background. Um, so I am, <laughs> I'm a computational data scientist, bioinformatician by trade, um, lawyer by trade, and then just just a um, curious learner, right? So somebody, you know, an outsider sort of, you know, who came here um, decades ago, um, and somebody says sort of, you know, who've tried really hard um, to to pave a path and to intentionally grow, just being recognized w- was, was nice. Um, and I think sort of, you know, um, this is something that, um, you know, I, I have a four-year-old daughter too, and um, I'm I'm trying to be very intentional about what I do and how you know and and things that I the standards I hold myself to and um, how that you know shapes up the the future of of women in tech and women in leadership and just women supporting women. Um, so you know it it it, it I, I was gratified meant a lot, but I think most importantly you know this is um, just a way for us to. Um, sort of give back and have and have more opportunities um, to mentor uh, other other um, women, you know, in STEM and and everything in between. I love that you use the word intentional there. But the other thing that I know, I absolutely know you as a parent know this because I think any parent listening knows this is your children are always watching. So it's not just the intentional aspects, but it's also maybe the unintentional or or the things you just do. Um, every day that's predictable that they're watching too. And you talked on your, your background a little bit. You've mentioned that one of the things your mom stressed in your life was that your life is really defined by milestones and accomplishments and also, also the ability to change another person's life in a good way. How has that really not only impacted you as a parent, but also impacted you in your career as well? So I feel like that has been the biggest why of my journey you know, um, so like I said, you know, talked a little bit about my background, but so I come from a family of educators, problem solvers, like I call, I call them. Uh, my mom is a doctor and my dad recently retired from public service. So, so things necessarily have not been a motivator and I'm super thankful for that. Um, I really celebrate sort of, you know, uh, problems that have a meaningful impact, um, and to me, um, you know, as as being intentional about um, things has been a real um, something I had to work towards, and requires a great um, deal of discipline. Um, and and I think, you know, uh, like you said, like kids are always watching everything. But I think uh, moving from sort of you know what you would do um to being more disciplined about the intention and then that becoming a norm is 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 what a milestones to me mean and that has been you know the the sort of the real reason why um you know i have been um you know incrementally sort of being able to grow as a human being grow as an adult um grow as a, a parent um and yeah, and that's been sort of, you know, um, um, has impacted not just the career, but everything about about life so far. Let's expound a little bit too on that word intentional. Throughout your career and up to now, you've made a very intentional decision to focus on government um, with your company, uh, at Raft. So what made you want to focus on government? It could have been 
it could have been any industry, but why did government and and so in support of public service really pull you in? It's so funny. I mean, this was not the plan <laughs> when I did. <laughs> it rarely did, is, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is ne- definitely not the plan when I, you know, um, came came to America, you know, decades ago. Um, and um, you know, but but something that has been, you know, I didn't realize until recently. Um, the way to define is is that I'm just a curious human being. So so my data as through my background as a computational data scientist, and you know, I I started working at NIH where I was working with a lot of, um, and that's National Institutes of Health, um, where I was working with a lot of researchers and policymakers. And as a consultant to the Institute, I really started to appreciate, um, so I came as a scientist, right? Um, But I started to appreciate the multifaceted nature of the governance, the governing laws, the policy, the data rights, the IP, and just all the things that, you know, this had in the day-to-day decision making something that you know we take for granted and we just do the do but but the why behind gets lost and and of course i wanted to deep dive so that led me to um go to gw part-time gw law part-time so you know that's where i got my lawyer uh, training as a lawyer and my focus was primarily sort of you know ip and health law policy and sort of the complex structure that exists between the the regulatory process, the federal regulatory process, and also, you know, how that intersects with state. So I had this, all this, you know, sort of uh, in the background and, and, you know, just wanting to understand the why and just going deep into it. And and that's when, so I graduated and I gave um, the birth to my daughter at the same time. And um, to me, it was, you know, give like as a parent, like you really start to ask, ask real hard questions. And ask questions about, hey, what does it really mean? Like, what does intentional impact mean? How, what are you going to, as your kids grow up, what are you going to teach them? How are you going to hold them accountable? And all, all these things, you know, which I would have not probably paid attention to. So, um, and I started to being more intentional and started to pay attention to that. And so what was, and what things I was afraid of. And I think, um, you know, I knew sort of at that time as a consultant, I had experienced some of the brokenness that existed in the system. Um, And as a taxpayer on the other side, sort of how painful it was. Um, So, and at that point of time, I sort of, you know, (laughs) I'm not knowing a lot, but just wanting to fix something that's quote unquote broken, um, just decided to be brave and sort of just jump in, I guess. Um, and you know, I didn't not necessarily understand government, but I understood that there gotta be a way to, you know, make s- tiny bit of impact. So that's what, that's what sort of led me to this journey that I'm on now. What about your time at maybe NIH too has helped you where you are now when you're, where you're running this company that's really dedicated to supporting government. I, I've had a lot of conversations with leaders in government that have come from the private sector that usually went to, by the end of the show, they're trying to, to convince people to do a, a, a stint in government to come in because you learn so much. Was there, was there a, a something about your time at NIH that, that has you've carried with you now while you're at, at raft that is really driving you forward and how you support your customers? Yeah, I think the biggest thing was, you know, um, for me, you know, sort of seeing how 
especially the government programs were run and how the execution, like the intent was great, but the execution normally was not successful. And I saw sort of the disconnect between, sorry for the lack of, you know, um, bluntness here, but like the, the, do, the, the sort of the dog and pony show that happens where you have an A team come in and just deliver, you know, they talk about this perfect solution. And then the B team comes in to develop things or, or just, you know, um, deliver things. Um, and so just that part of it like, did not make sense to me. And I really wanted to you know, create an ecosystem where um, people with a similar passion as mine could come together um, and, you know, and deliver value. And as, as a taxpayer, I feel like it should be everybody's responsibility if, you know, if it, to, to provide that value add. Um, and increase the the ROI um, for for the not only us but also for the future generations ahead of us. Well, you've definitely successfully completed uh, building that ecosystem. Um, it, congratulations, by the way, on that that contract award with Kessel Run. But why don't you tell our listeners more specifically what your team is focused on at RAF because it's really a unique type of company that is really specializing in government support. Yeah, so I think the simplest, and uh, pardon me, I uh, am not appreciative of buzzwords, but I think just to uh, build some context here, I think, um, you know, I feel like digital transformation is a buzzword that's thrown out far too often, but, um, you know, that is sort of the spectrum of services um, that RAF does, uh, you know, partner and collaborate with the um, our clients. So I, I like to call it public sector innovation. Um, and, um, so, you know, not only sort of, you know, and we work across this, um, um, portfolio of the sector. So we help are helping the civilian agencies with modernizing a lot of their legacy systems, um, but also help, um, the department of defense, um, to, um, you know, um, stand up, operationalize, um, make these software factories, um, that, uh, more efficient, and also, you know, look at um, through our cyber uh, portfolio efforts, small business innovation research portfolios. Um, we look at we are looking at um, data as a whole. So, you know, all the way from data governance to what does it mean to be downstream um, data, and and what do you do with it, and you know, sort of making making sure it's set up right. Um, so that's that's how I would sort of describe, you know, where um, RAF partners with its um, government clients. We've had a number of these software factories on the show, including Hannah Hunt over at Army Software Factory. And I think, I mean, just to be frank, it's really cool what they're doing. And I think we haven't seen this type of innovation within government, especially inside of government um, for a long time, if ever. Uh, what are you learning about the way government is changing their approach towards software development in support of their stakeholders? I feel like a lot of times this, this transformation that we are, we are on gets confused and, uh, you know, there's a, with digitization, um, which is, I see, um, think of digitization as more of a small term, you know, um, technology change as opposed to a transformation, which includes so multifaceted, um, and it is <clears throat> includes the whole sort of the culture, behavior, tech, um, and, and differs from agency to agency. Um, so, so I feel like you know I, I'm, I think we are making in incremental progress, 
Um, but I do think that, you know, we have a long way to go where the innovation is coming in. But along with the innovation, you know, the cultural change is so important. And it's happening, I feel like, in, you know, little um, little um, groups. And, and how do you scale that out? Um, and how do you sort of keep the momentum going? It's going to be the real challenge that is going to be in front of us. So you've talked, too, about the one of the problems with scale um, is actually more than just a technology problem. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So I, I mean, as a technologist, you know, as an engineer, I feel like technology always has an answer. Um, but where the the problem, you know, sometimes gets complicated or there's the, the, the issues start coming in with scale and with scale, like as I was talking about earlier, it includes culture, people, processes, and outcomes at different inflection points. Um, so scale is really a complex and multifaceted beast, in my opinion. Um, and what I'm, you know, what I've sort of, um, I think we are being intentional about it, but I think we get stuck in this um, over-optimization of solution problems for where we are at as engineers. Um, and we think of scale as a magic set of processes, um, and which is fine for the great, uh, for, you know, works fine for the short term. But as as you evolve into the next the the next scale and next inflection point, um, it it's it 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 sometimes fails. It mostly, you know, we have heard all these stories about where digital transformation fails, um, and it fails, you know, because we have over optimized sort of, you know, the current scale, but not necessarily designed for flexibility. And so, in my opinion, you know, um, I think um, scale and being intentional about what what are you designing for and how and designing for flexibility. Um, is is sort of you know the harder problem to solve than a technology or engineering, which don't get me wrong, it's still hard. But I think since it does not necessarily deal with humans, and humans are complex and hard, you know, and interesting human beings, it is a relatively easier problem to solve. When I think of scale too, I think of the value that data could have at scale, especially within public sector where they have. I mean, government is really one of the largest creators and disseminators and um, organizers of data, and they have so much at their fingertips. How are you able to support governments that that need to leverage this data to scale up and, and perhaps scale down in support of their stakeholders? Yeah. So the way Raft, you know, I think um, there there's a philosophical answer to this. And then, then Raft is um, helping government, um, you know, agencies, uh, Department of Air Force in particular do this, where um, we have, or have been working on a prototype with them uh, for uh, figuring out how do you, you know, um, do event-based, make event-based data decisions? How do you remove these data um, silo so that uh, more of a, you know, mesh fabric sort of is created. So there are, you know, um, minimal viral, uh, prototypes that we are looking at, MVPs we are looking at to sort of, you know, see what works and then hopefully expand that out. But I think, um, you know, more of the philosophical question on, on sort of how as, you know, as a community we can help um, is, is to me, I think that really tightening that build measure loop learn. Um, and before we start to build something, we need to be good about what is the outcome? What are we trying to measure? Um, and if, you know, don't build on, 
anything until you understand the outcome. Output is not good enough. So, and then use that to drive the build. Um, and I think the other part was also that I've seen and I've, you know, attended so many conferences and we celebrate um, success stories, which is fantastic. But I think we need to do a better job celebrating the failures. Um, I have, you know, and, and, and we give ourselves pat on the backs and it's super awesome. But I think data sharing also we should be holding ourselves accountable or responsible for sharing the data um, or, you know, amongst things that don't work, they are failures. So people who are making um, those decisions don't go down that path and, and, you know, can effectively learn from it. I love that you said that because one of the things that I've kind of learned throughout my career as a marketer is that some of the best stories that you can tell uh, to support your teams as you're kind of going to market are the ones that are are real and they're not uh, the perfect situation, but you want to bring in use cases that show there are hiccups. I love when we can bring in a customer that can talk to some of the some of the implementations that we have, where they struggled, where we struggled, but the way you were able to overcome that. Because at the end of the day, I think every government organization knows that if you've, if let's just say you've purchased something, purchased software, any implementation, especially a customized implementation, isn't going to go smoothly or, or as smooth as you expected at the beginning. There's always going to be hiccups. And what they want to know is that you're anticipating the hiccups or the potential and that you've overcome them in the past. And that's a more effective way, in my opinion, to go to market. I, I'd be really curious, are there any challenges or, or let's say failures that you've had in your past that really stick out where you know you learned so much in that moment and you've really brought that value to your customers? Yeah. I mean, there's so many. <laughs> yeah, don't, we, all have, we all have so many, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. And, and yes. And I think a part of this is also, right. Um, if you just sort of look at, and I'm going to get to your answer in a second, but I just wanted to, you know, to, when you talked about the failures, I just do want to say that, you know, right now the system that we, the government procures, you know, um, support for some of the programs they have, or maybe even majority of the programs they have is through writing out the past performances or, you know, is through, you know, um, what, what have you done in the past sort of, um, narratives, um, and I feel like that celebrates again the you know oh how awesome you are. Um, I would really you know challenge uh, you know or um, the the government leaders to think about hey um, talk about how you know you messed up and the lessons learned from there because we all know if we can talk about the stories of messing up. Um, then we would have really done it. And we never sort of get it right in the first time. Um, it's just the number of times you've done it. And, and every challenge is going to be different. So what we deliver for, you know, the software factory at Air Force may not be the same thing that an army's uh, challenge that army software factory is facing or, or Navy or NATO, whatever that may be. Um, so it's like different challenges and, 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 you know, and, and also like which challenge or which failure um, that aligns with you as a customer um, and which one you would be okay with and which one you would not be. So more transparency around this, um, I think would be, you know, sort of a different way to approach this and, and honestly more equitable way, way to approach this. Um, 
And and to answer your question, gosh, which um, I'm just trying to think about which challenge has where it's been a lesson learned. I think um, there are so many, but I think the biggest one was um, not understanding the way um, the whole process works and just making so many mistakes. When I say the process, like what it means to start um you know, bidding on these programs, contracts, and then what does it mean to, you know, uh, and how do you go from that to all the way to the award and all those things, like those were such hard lessons learned. And it was just, you know, incrementally not making the same mistake that got wrapped here. Um, But it has been, I mean, no jokes, one step forward, three step back. Um, So it's been just very intentional progress. Well, and I'd have to imagine in your role and being a founder and a, a CEO of of a company, I'm sure there's there's so many things that you were learning along the way and and you've created some of those calluses as you as you move forward um, from those lessons learned. You and I were talking before the show about our our love of David Goggins and and I, I love that because his his mindset is really failure isn't an option. You just keep going and and you might have little hiccups and stumbles along the way, but ultimately you have a goal and you do what it takes to get there. And, and you've obviously adopted that mindset to kind of drive this organization forward. Um, one of the things I, I, I am curious about, because you have been so effective in being a true partner with government, what are, what's your advice to some other vendors that are listening that can differentiate themselves from just being another technology vendor? Because I hear so often from government leaders, what they're looking for is somebody to come to them and already understand their challenges and want to be a partner. How have you been successful in partnering with these government groups and really from the inside out to really drive that relationship forward? Yeah, I think a huge part of this has been sort of, for me, forming this great team um, uh, you know, of rafters. I think they, you know, I, the, the, the raft success is owed to the rafter. It has absolutely nothing to do with me. I'm just a conduit. Um, and so, you know, um, and they have been phenomenal in understanding the rafters have been phenomenal in understanding and starting with the why starting with, you know, not being opportunistic. It's very easy. It's a quick win, but it's not differentiating. Um, and just not, you know, being better listeners um, than, than, you know, a lot of them out there. Um, and, and so for, as part of that, you know, I think um, when, when we listen, sometimes we say no, because it's just not something that makes sense. And we, you know, we are true consultants when it comes to sort of, you know, um, walking through why something would not work and why something is a better, um, maybe not, not a favorable, um, option for them, but we just walk about the pros, the, the, um, the pro and cons. And, and honestly, (laughs) there's no, there's no, like the way we say it, Raph, there's no B team. There's all, we are all, it's just a team. And so what, we, you know, um, go in and understand and try to um, sort of solve an approach is is the same people who end up delivering it. So I think that has been sort of a key differentiator. Um, and I feel like true partnership really requires pairing and which is a give and take and not necessarily being, you know, afraid to put opinions and be opinionated about it. 
um, because I think this is a new journey for a lot of the customers. So they are um, like, you know, every, we all know this, right? Customer thinks what they <laughs> need is what is going to make them happy, but that's really not the case. So really approaching everything through, through the user-centered design element, design thinking element of it, and really trying to parse this and delivering in small slices has been sort of, you know, what are the two differentiators of rafters? Well, I think you hit it right on the head with you need to be a better listener because ultimately you need to understand. Yeah, initially you might you might have a, a grasp on what some of their initial challenges are, but do you really know where they're going? And once you understand where they're going, you can try to help them get there. And like you said, sometimes government and and organizations can get in their own way by thinking they have the best answer. But as long as you know where you're where you're trying to take them based on based on their goals and objectives, you can help them ensure success by giving them exactly what they came to you for, which is that knowledge and wisdom and and, and technology understanding of how to matriculate that goal forward. Have there been any like significant challenges that you found that are very different when working with government? Yeah. Um, so I think um, the biggest challenge for you know us has been, and and it's a, as an outsider to the whole GovCon world, has been. <laughs> this is probably even the first time you've heard this answer. Um, is acquisition right? Um, so it's not as simple as hey, you know, you you are awesome. You 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 know you really can help solve. Um, just the longest um, the <laughs> um, the longest. Um, the whole, you know, totem pole is um, how how do you get access to us? And so I think I feel like DoD in particular has been super creative about these things, um, but um, and it's 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 it has worked sort of you know depending on which team you end up with and who is your um, sort of acquisition point of contact. Um, but again, sort of that problem of scales comes in where you have these great small teams that are out of the box thinkers that just want to make it happen, but then it doesn't necessarily translate across um, the, the DoD um, and th th they're great ideas and we really appreciate of initiatives that are ongoing and DAU um, and other you know entities like that. Um, but it's again sort of you know that idea of, hey, so, Let's scale this out. Let everybody um, know about this, so you know people can get to problem solving quicker and faster. Um, so that is one of the biggest things. Acquisition, absolutely. Um, and the second, you know, the the thing I would say is um, just the uniqueness of um, what working in a government ecosystem looks like, and understanding, you know, the far. Even though somebody with um, this the legal background i i make a whole lot sense of it but there are so many exceptions to the exceptions it's just it's just so confusing <laughs> so you know i can't even imagine what others you know what they have to go through i think um, it says a lot that a lawyer is is struggling to understand all the nuances of far i'm sure there's somebody listening right now that's absolutely laughing just like i am because it is so comprehensive and difficult do you think this the acquisition process is one of the reasons why traditionally government has kind of been lacking in the the modernization versus the private sector? 
Yeah, I feel like, you know, that is definitely a huge um, blocker to getting the the brightest teams to work and support the government. Um, I think, um, you know, we are all are trying it in different pockets, but it would we would move so much faster if we would sort of, you know, not treat the symptom, but the root cause. Um, and I feel like, you know, there's major legislative action needed to to get us there. Um, so Raft is also a founding member of the Alliance. And, you know, we through that, we are pushing um, for the legislative changes necessary for the small business innovation research programs. Um, specifically, there's a RAMP Act for Innovators um, that was recently introduced by Chrissy Holohan and Balderson. Um, and so, you know, some like let it, it comes down to treating the root cause. So we are really hopeful, you know, in the years to come, we can we can target that and hopefully have a more intentional overhaul of the or the far, at least I can dream, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so, I mean, we did see an extreme acceleration around procurement of technologies throughout the pandemic over the past year and a half. Do you think that's going to continue whenever we do get back to normal? Is this rate something that you think government can keep up with? And potentially that could be something that drives change within the FAR to ensure they're they're not slowing down. Yeah. And you know, whenever there's an acceleration, again, that comes back to, um, I, I always want to go back to the why. And I think COVID has surfaced a lot of hidden problems that needed to be solved. Sure. Um, and, and whether that is digitization or transformation, I think is a big question. I think, um, you know, we are really, I think we, we as a whole ecosystem need to figure out how to prioritize them and figure out, you know, what is the long term versus the short term and, and you have those meaningful conversations and really, you know, collaborate and partner and not make these decisions in silos. I think that is another thing government can really benefit from from is having these, you know, uh, open um, partners and collaboration. I feel like some of the DOD leaders do AMAs, which have been helpful, but I think just across the board, more of industry government collaboration would go a long way because there's never sort of a right answer to this. This is always an approach that needs to be, you know, measured and learned from and then, and then prioritized with to leads to what makes sense now sort of, you know, at, at, at the time versus projecting for the future. Well, I think one of the things that COVID accelerated was the adoption of technology to support remote work because it really wasn't in place to the extent that it needed to be to facilitate that on the scale that we saw. And w- one of the things I'm hoping for is that a lot of the technology investment is going to be used even in in this new normal to drive remote work and i'm hopeful that it'll drive the diversification of the workforce too because it'll allow them to recruit and gain talent from all corners of the country what are your thoughts on on what remote work can do uh to do just that to diversify the workforce and bring more talent to government yeah so it's funny um raft has been remote for sort of pre-pandemic um, and so, you know, that has been one of the um, reasons we have been able to bring, um, create this ecosystem of, of builders and problem solvers because we have not lim- been limited to a location and that's been by choice. I mean, there are, you know, scenarios where it is a classified work, so you have to be on a classified 
facility, but by mm -hmm. and large, you know, preference towards where um, saying yes to things and programs that support um, such, you know, getting the right kind of people for the right kind of, you know, problems has been the key key motivator and differentiator. And so to sort of answer your question, you know, I feel like absolutely, you know, um, I mean, what we saw um, people, let's say in Idaho or, or Texas or wherever, you know, not in the DC metro area ecosystem who wanted to contribute, um, but couldn't necessarily do it because they don't want to move. You know, they have a good, good life, but, but now with the whole COVID that this is one of the problems that was brought to the surface. And I'm so glad that we were, we effectively and efficiently solved it. Um, or, or, you know, at least, <laughs> or, or towards solving it. Um, and we have these people who want to participate and contribute towards, you know, medi um, uh, contributes towards public sector innovation, and now are able to enhance, you know, we are getting the diversification, the much needed diversification that's needed to solve these complex problems. I think it's it's absolutely right. And the ability to compete with some of the companies that have been doing remote work for a while and and also kind of pull on that that string of the calling of public service which is something i've, I've also touched on the show with several of my guests i think this next generation is really looking to serve in a more to go back to the beginning a more intentional way and i think that's certainly one way that they can help them do that i've really enjoyed this conversation shuby i, I want to give you a chance to give any final thoughts uh you want to give to our audience and listeners today well, thank you so much, Brian. I have really enjoyed the conversation too. Um, and thanks again uh, for having me on the on the podcast. Um, you know, I would just sort of, you know, leave everybody with that public innovation is not a hard problem. It is a problem that requires a lot of passion, um, a lot of intention. And, you know, if we all sort of come together to solve it or at raft, as we say, <laughs> row, row in the same direction, I think we will really um, end up increasing the ROI for the American taxpayer, um, for, for the, the current and the future generations ahead. So I think it is sort of almost our responsibility to, to make sure, you know, and hold each other accountable for it. Le finishing up with accountability that's very very much a david goggins type finish so th thank you so much Shibi, again for for being on the show thank you so much brian have appreciated our conversation this has been the government huddle podcast you can check out more episodes of the show by heading over to gmarku.com or wherever you access your podcast and please feel free to connect with me on linkedin or on twitter at chittister thanks for listening guys bye for now